0: Hi, my name is Anne. The Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs seventeen, seventeen. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Eric. Sorry about that. <laughs> I have a voice that doesn't need a microphone. <laughs> my name is Eric. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians four, twenty nine through thirty-two. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Emily. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John fifteen eleven through 15. I have told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the same way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Men, you may be seated. Well, it's great to be back with you. I've missed being with you the last few Sundays, and uh, it is so good to be back. Uh, we are starting a new series today called These Four Walls, and it's all about relationships and family and community. And the perfect, it's the perfect kickoff to the series that today is Family Sunday. Now I know know that some of you came in looking, hoping for children's ministry this morning because it's just been that kind of week with your kids. And listen, my wife and I have four children, so we understand those kinds of weeks. Um, But let me tell you a bit about why we do this. We do Family Sunday because we believe that as a church... Uh, It's good for us once in a while to be around the whole whole family all together, worshiping the Lord. And does that mean kids are going to cry? Yes, usually mine. Uh, Does that mean sometimes we'll see them running around and all that? Yes, it will. But it also reminds us that this is what it means to belong in the large family of God. That Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's a little bit nuts, sometimes it's chaotic. But it also helps you realize that you're not just responsible for your own little turf. You know, this is kind of the Cain and Abel thing, I, am I my brother's keeper? It reminds you that even if you are a single and loving it, that there are others that are, are not or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that, that, that together we become this, this infrastructure, this support, this community that God has designed. So this series is called These Four Walls, not, not in a literal sense of, okay, a, a building, We use this phrase when we think think about family or when we think about community. We say, well, what happens in these four walls or what takes place in, in this place? But I think what happens in the New Testament is family and community get redefined. That it no longer becomes just about your specific bloodlines or your specific ancestry or your specific descendants, but it gets redefined around Jesus and so whoever's in Christ now belongs to the same household together. And so my hope is, with the series is that, like today, we're going to talk about friendships. And then next week, I think we're going to talk about dating. I know. Yeah, make sure you bring your single friends. Okay. Like that, that special one. Okay. And then, and then the next week, we'll talk about marriage. And then we'll talk about parenting. And I think if there's a fifth week, I'm not sure yet, because I'm just, you know, getting reoriented to our, our new series. I, I, I hope to talk about how we deal with elders in our community, uh, in the midst of a culture that is looking to only uh, celebrate the young. What do we do with elders in our community? How do we, what does the Bible have to say about that? And I want to tell you that as we go through this, we're going to draw pretty heavily from a section of the Scriptures, a section of the Old Testament, that the Jewish people called the wisdom literature. So, wisdom literature includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. And I'll talk more about that as we get on. But the wisdom literature is famous for giving us how-tos. This is how you do this. And so I thought in the spirit of wisdom literature, each week we'll have a how-to. So this is how to have good friends. For me, the, 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 um, my encounter with friendships uh, took some challenges as I was growing up because of the moves that our family made. So I had great friends in Malaysia where I grew up and Then at 10 years old, we moved to Portland, Oregon, which is kind of a big move, Um, you know, all the way on the other side of the world. And my parents were following the call of God on their life in the same way that Jed and Kim are following a call on their life. But my parents were following a call to go to Bible school, and so my my parents both left their jobs. My dad left his job, and my mom her part-time job, And, and we moved to Portland, Oregon. And it was an adjustment, trying to figure out, okay, where do I belong? Where do I fit? Is this how do I quickly learn an American accent, you know? And, uh, and I had teachers that, that loved to sort of single me out for my non-American way of speaking English. And uh, so I was incentivized by shame, unintentionally, I think, to, uh, to, to learn this quickly. And then after three years there, we moved back to Malaysia and I finished out my high school years there and I did kind of an American homeschool curriculum thing for my high school years. And then came back to the States to go to college. But I came back, and this was kind of the worst possible scenario, but the way that my flight was timed and all that, I arrived in Tulsa late at night in a spring semester, so already I'd missed kind of the fall kick-up. So it was spring semester, and I'd missed all of the orientation for new students coming in that spring semester. So I arrived late on a Sunday night. I didn't know how I was going to get from the airport to the Oral Roberts University campus. Fortunately, I was sitting next to an alumnus who gave me a ride to the campus. But I got to the campus and everything was shut down and it was dark and nobody knew where I should go. And they said, well, here, we'll just get you a room somewhere here. We'll sort it all out in the morning. So they put me in this room and I've got my you know, huge luggages and I'm thinking, here I am back in America for college and this, this is how it begins, you know. And it was really kind of an omen for the rest of that spring semester for me because I just didn't know where I fit so I found a couple of international students from Indonesia, and they were convinced that Malaysia, Indonesia, in, in Tulsa, it might as well be the same thing, you know? So, so they said, they said, you should just come with us. We've got Indonesian church. And I was like, but I don't really speak Bahasa Indonesia that well. Like I speak English, you know, and uh, they're like, it, it, it'll, it'll be fine. And so I started going to their church on the weekends and I enjoyed the food. It was great food, but I, I didn't feel like I was fully there. Do you know what I mean? Like These weren't necessarily going to be the long-term friends. And then, then I, I got a job. That, see, I told you it was going to be one of my children screaming. And then I got a job working in the library at ORU. And, and then I became an, an academic peer advisor, which is a fancy way of saying nerd. And um, so, so I, I, was, I was the guy on the floor that if any other students needed academic advising, you were supposed to help them. Yep. Not usually a popular guy because you're the one explaining them why they got that F for turning in the paper two weeks late and that you're, there's really no appeals process for stupid. But, oh, sorry. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> so, so, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> as in deliberately waiting two weeks late. Yeah. Okay. You're good. Okay. So, so that was not a popular role, and I was trying to figure out if that was my people, if those were going to be my friends, and it wasn't. And, you know, so, so it took a little while, and then, I, and then I saw this group of people at ORU who were the cargo pants people, you know? Like this was in the mid-90s when, when you know, cargo pants were like the thing, you know, slightly baggy cargo pants, and you had like hemp necklaces and like hair that went like this, you know? And that was how I met John Egan. So... So... so so I wanted to know, okay, is this my tribe? You know, are these my people? And, uh, and then gradually I joined the music ministries at, at, at our school and got involved. So began to sort of feel like, okay, maybe these will be my friends. Now, as it turns out, the truth is I made some amazing friends in those years. And I didn't realize it, but those friends have played a huge role in shaping who I am today. And many of those friends are here in this very city, serving at this very church, you heard from one of my dear friends last Sunday in Brad Baker. You heard from another one the week before in Daniel Grothy. I, I, I'm I, telling you, I'm 35 now. I'm looking back and I'm realizing, I understand why parents spend so much time praying for, your children to, for their children to find good friends. Because friends are a big part of shaping your trajectory and your walk with God. And I had friends that kind of helped me um, or encouraged me in my pursuit of God who were... Fellow travelers along this road of using our gifts to serve the Lord. So, the first thing I want to say this morning to all of us of every age is that we all want good friends. All of us want good friends. We all want good friends. All of us have this deep desire in us to be known and to be loved. I mean, as much as we try to kind of shake it off and say, I, I'm tough, I don't need it, I don't, I don't need any friends, I'll just, you know, if it's only me and Jesus, I'm fine, you know. But the truth is, Deep down inside, we want somebody to see us, to know us, to love us, to really make us feel like we're not alone. And so we all want this. And the Bible actually acknowledges this. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, "A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity." Proverbs 18:24 says, "A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother." Now, there's a, my girls are in a homeschool co-op, and we invited some of the other kids to join them in this. And so we've got Naya Lewis, Jason and Nico's little girl. There's Jason and Nico. We've got Nora, ours, and Sophia, ours. And it's turned out that they were working on a poem this week by Rudyard Kipling called The Thousandth Man, which is very much uh, underscores a little bit of, of Proverbs here. So if you'd step up to the mic, girls, kind of surround it. Speak nice and loud. And go. The Thousandth Man by Roger Roger Kipling. Kipling. One man in a thousand, Solomon says, will stick more close than a brother. And it's worth worth while seeking seeking him him half your days, days if you find Find him before the other. 999 depend on what the the world sees in you. But if the, the thousandth, thousandth man will stand, stand your friend, the world round world, world again you. you But and if he, he finds you and you find him, him the, rest the rest of the world, world don't matter. For the, the thousandth man will sink or swim with you, with you in, in any water. That's great. Thank you, girls. So we want this. We all want good friends. And the the Bible sort of acknowledges this longing and says, hey, that's a good longing. And then our poems celebrate this. Look, there is a special kind of friend. And we know friends matter because later on Paul will say, don't be fooled. Bad company can corrupt good character. That you can have this great heart for God, but if you find yourself running in the wrong circles, you'll find yourself being led down different paths. So friends matter. Friends matter because of the support that they bring to you, but friends matter because of the trajectory that they lead you on. You know the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Good friends matter. We all want it. But the trouble is that even good friends let us down. Even good friends let us down. So maybe we we listen to the Proverbs and it says, okay, this is how to have a good friend. This is how to be a good friend. You need these people around you who aren't going to let you down or are going to stick with you, who are going to take you down the right path. And we say, yes, yes, I did that. But they hurt my feelings. They disappointed me. They weren't there for me when I needed help. Or they betrayed me or they said something. They shared something with someone else that I had shared with them. As a prayer request. (laughs) Right. Don't ever do that, right? Has it ever happened that you've been hurt by a friend? Don't raise your hand. But just kind of, give me one of these. yeah, In case you're sitting by them. (laughs) Starts out in life and you realize, okay, this is all I need. All I need in in my early years, I need to find good friends. And if I had good friends, I would never face disappointment. And so then the first time friends let you down, you think, I know, I've got the wrong friends. And maybe you do. Or maybe this is just part of what life is like, that life includes disappointments and disillusionments and friends letting us down. This is what I love about the Old Testament, liter- uh, Old Testament wisdom literature. Uh, one, one, um, one seminary prof said it this way, Dr. Golden Gay. he said, Proverbs says, do these things and life will work out this way. Ecclesiastes says, we did, and it didn't. (laughs) And then I would add, Job says, and so God, what are you gonna do about it? And I love this because do you know the Bible is not a static book? It's not a static book where you where you it's not like this magic sort of mantra book where you pull things out of it and you can automatically make every verse a refrigerator magnet. Doesn't work. It's not like this spell where you can kind of find a magic verse and say, aha! See, this is the secret. Because you'll pull a verse out of Proverbs that says this is the secret and then you'll find somewhere else where you say, but but it, but it didn't happen. And, and really the Bible is this dynamic book that is in conversation with itself. So Proverbs makes it sound so easy. Oh, if you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you're set. You're like, this is awesome. And then you read like some of the lament psalms or you read Ecclesiastes and you're like, all my friends have betrayed me and I am wounded and they stand around me and spit at me like a dog and you're like, Oof, I thought it was so easy. And I think the wisdom literature challenges our black and white view of life, isn't it? Because for some of us, life does work out ra- relatively simply. And so we look at other people whose lives are what we would consider to be a mess, quote unquote, and we say, oh, you, if only you just followed the Proverbs 17, 17 rule. You know, I mean, this, it's just simple. It's the facts of, this is how it works, you know. But the Bible, thankfully, is more textured than that, is more nuanced than that. And so it allows us to see that no, there really are disappointments, there really are, there really are disillusionment. And we want to ask ourselves so, what does Jesus do with this? Do you know the reason we stand for the gospel reading every Sunday? It's because we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. We stand for it as a way of saying it's all the Word of God, but we read it through Jesus. And so when we when the gospel reading comes it's usually the words of Jesus and we stand as a way to honor it and to say the words of Jesus that everything I've read in Proverbs has to be seen as pointing toward Jesus that everything I've encountered in all the other books needs to be seen as pointing toward Jesus so the gospel words of Jesus are the ones we place at the center <laughs> So what does Jesus do to wisdom literature? What does Jesus do? So Proverbs says, do these things and life will work out this way. Ecclesiastes says, we did and it didn't. And Job says, so God, what are you going to do about it? And Jesus says, I am the wisdom of God personified. I am the wisdom of God in the flesh. What does Jesus do with friendship? Jesus says, I will be the friend that sticks closer than a brother, but I won't be a faithful friend just to good people. I'll be a faithful friend to the sinners we have a great hymn that says this, right? Jesus, friend of sinners. And you think, wait a minute, I thought to have good friends, you've got to be good friends. Jesus says, let me take this to a whole nother level. Let me be a faithful friend to the one who doesn't deserve it. Let me be a faithful friend to the lowly and the weak and the poor. Jesus, the friend of sinners, of Samaritans, of the outcasts, of the downcasts. But then you would think, okay, so if Jesus is the wisdom of God personified, and if he's such a faithful friend, even to the weak, surely Jesus would have been the most celebrated man of his day, right? Surely Jesus would never have been betrayed by his friends. What is this you say? One of Jesus' inner circle of friends tried to kill him? Jesus was a small group leader, and one out of the 12 conspired against him? You think your meal group is sketchy. It's like at his meal group, one of the guys is like plotting to kill him, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Don't dip the bread in the cup. <laughs> so this friend of sinners is the one that gets betrayed by his own friends. Disowned by them. Has his most loyal friend, Peter, disown you? <laughs> one of your most faithful followers say, I never knew, no. No. You think you are hurt because a friend didn't like your status on Facebook? You know, it's like Jesus had Peter like full on deny him, and then Jesus chooses to forgive. What does Jesus do to the wisdom about friendship? He says, "I'll show you the wisdom of God on friendship. It's a kind of friendship that gives to others, even to those who can't give back to you. It's a kind of friendship that allows that." when people hurt you and reject you and disown you, is able to find a way to release them and forgive them and love them. All of a sudden you realize Jesus, the wisdom of God personified, is showing us something about what it means to be Christian friends. Friendship for Christians is not just being a good friend. It means this. Christian friends forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Christian friends forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. I think it's kind of this, this myth here where we think the difference between Christian community and your normal friends, quote unquote, is that your normal friends you know, are sure to hurt you, but Christian friends will never do that. I want to say to you something a bit more radical than that. I want to say that the defining feature of Christian friends is that Christian friends have learned how to forgive one another over and over and over again. And our children, we're going to watch our children learn this the hard way. We're going to watch them have friends that they think are going to be great and then the friend betray and we're going to have to navigate this and say, "What do we do? How do we teach? What do we say to our children?" Well, don't you, you next time they take your lunch, you take theirs. You know, what do we say to them? Bonhoeffer, Jed already mentioned him earlier in the service. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great quote about Christian community. It's a bit long, but I want you to see it. He says, The serious Christian for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what the Christian life should be like, and he'll try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. We must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others. Anybody ever felt that? I like Jesus, I like the Bible, but Christian friends, whatever, man. Bunch of hypocrites. Liars. Bonhoeffer says you're on the right track. You have to be disillusioned. And the sooner we must be overwhelmed with great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves, the sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God and by others and by himself. Have you ever been this person where you enter a new community, you enter a small group, you enter a church, you enter a group of friends, and you think, I want it to be this way. And you hold everybody else as a prisoner to your ideal. And you don't realize this, but you've made your ideal the Lord of your friendships. And so your vision of what friends should be like becomes the Lord of your community. And he says, he acts as if he's the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together, and when things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. And then Bonhoeffer says, but God has already laid the foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered the common life with them. We enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. This is where I want to land this morning. What is transformative about Christian community? It's that we begin to treat our friendships with a spirit of gratitude, not a spirit of demandingness, of saying, you owe me this, you ought to be this, you are supposed to be this instead of saying, God, thank you. There's a word for this, and it's kind of a a fancy word, but it means to treat something Eucharistically, okay? Now listen, we come to the Eucharist every week. We come to the table of the Lord. This word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. In the middle of this word Eucharist is the smaller word Charis, which means gift or grace. We receive something as gift. We offer it back as thanks in thanksgiving what would it be like church if you received your friendships this way to treat your friendships this way what if you treated received your friendships number first of all as a gift number one to receive your friendships as a gift to say here it is lord thank you for these friendships these are gifts and then to offer them back to god in thanksgiving to say god all these friendships that i have i'm offering them back to you they're yours They're yours. And then finally, to allow allow your friendships to point you back to the giver of those gifts. To recognize that even the best friendships you have ultimately point back to whom? To Jesus, to God, to the Father, to the Spirit. That He's the one that makes it possible for us to be friends. Isn't this fun? It's just (laughs) fantastic. I know you're half listening and you're half thinking, how many times a year did He say we do this? four, five, you know. I, um, this year, I, I've been especially reflective on friendships and worship team, you can come and begin to prepare. But I've realized that many of the friends in my life have been friends with me. <laughs> That's awesome. She wants to join the worship team. <laughs> We're going to sing and then the children can uh, just join in the noise, you know, the make a joyful noise and a not so joyful noise we'll receive it as a gift and offer it back as thanksgiving it's just great I tell you it is a different way to live life isn't it? to receive every day to receive every friendship every relationship as a gift from God and to offer it back to God in thanksgiving it changes you from looking to your friends to say friends be this for me versus saying God thank you for these friends I give them back to you in Thanksgiving. This has happened for me this year, may, maybe more than any other uh, time in my life because I've realized what a jerk I've been to some of my friends. And I say that not, not pretentiously, not you know, sort of to exaggerate it, but I've had more tearful conversations with my friends this, this year than in many other years in the past. And part of it is something happens to a group of friends, and and I can only speak for male friends, I'm not sure what it's like for female friends, but when guys have known each other for over a decade and you've seen each other grow and change, and change the way they think even, and change their approach to church or ministry or whatever, there's this little bit of competition between dudes, I don't know if you've experienced that, and there's a little bit of comparison, and there's a little bit of gamesmanship sometimes, and who's this and who's that, and, and then you say things and you do things, and I certainly have. What I said to one of my friends this summer, I said, you know, I'm just really thankful that you've stayed my friend. I know I haven't always been gentle as I've processed the way I think. I know that I've said some things that have unintentionally or intentionally implicated you or made you look, you know, and that's not kind. And I realize the ways that I've failed my friends. But I can tell you firsthand the beauty of experiencing the forgiveness of your friends. To know brothers who sit in a room and say, We know, Glenn, but we're, we're always going to be your brothers. We're always going to be your friends. We're with you. And to say the same back. To say, and I forgive you for this or for that. I'm telling you, all too often we walk away from a friendship not because it's a destructive one. You should walk away from destructive friendships. But there are some friendships where you know it's not destructive. It's just you haven't been able to navigate past a certain difference or a certain hurt or a certain wound or a certain distance in ideology. And I want to encourage you this morning to say, what would it take to close that gap? What would it take to, to do the Christ-like thing of closing that gap in that friendship? For Jesus, it meant going all the way to the cross and saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What does it mean in the end to close those gaps? I think when you listen to men and women who are in the, the evening seasons, the twilight years of their life, they'll, they'll tell you, all you really have as joy in this life are the relationships that we've invested in. And of course that includes family, but, but man, I'm telling you, it also includes friendships. Nurture the friendships that you have. Receive them as gifts from our Father. Offer them back with gratitude to God. And then let them point you to Jesus, the friend of sinners. Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. Would you quietly, where you are, just let the Lord kind of nudge your heart as quietly as you can be, I suppose. It's okay, even in the noise. Just say, God, what is there a relationship that I need to go and pursue? and Is there a friendship I need to try, to try to mend? Is there a friendship I've given up on too quickly? Is there one that I walked away from because I was hurt and it was really pride and that you're calling me to forgiveness that is beyond what I want to do? Maybe you're the kind of person that you've just been, if you're honest, you've just been jumping from group to group to try to find the perfect community or the perfect group of friends and maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning, it's right here, it's in front of you, don't blink. Maybe for some of you, you need to let go, like Bonhoeffer was saying, to let go of your ideal. So I don't want my ideal to be the Lord of my friendships, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my friendships. Maybe I'm so easily offended because I've got this ideal that I'm constantly finding, every, finding fault in everyone else and saying, oh, they failed me here and they failed me here. Just let the Spirit of God work on your heart.